Hello, it's May 27th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide, a daily podcast in which we are dedicated to encouraging each other in a habit of consistent reading through the Bible. So we don't just get sound bites, but we can follow the thematic threads and have the benefit of context. You may have heard that the three most important factors in real estate are location, location, and location. Well, the three most important factors in biblical interpretation are context, context, and context. Our understanding of Scripture will be benefited when we understand the literal, grammatical, historical, and situational context of a particular passage. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I'm happy to serve as your tour guide on this rewarding expedition through the Bible. We are currently in 2 Samuel as relational complexities unfold in the household of David, which reads like an 11th century soap opera. There are lessons to be gained here as we're reminded of in the second letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So with that in mind, let's begin today's reading from the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, beginning with chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. 
And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth, and washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord, and worshipped. He then went out to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and went in to her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him, and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah, because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites, and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David, and said, I have fought against Rabbah, moreover I have taken the city of waters. Now then gather the rest of the people together, and encamp against the city, and take it, lest I take the city, and it be called by my name. So David gathered all the people together, and went to Rabbah, and fought against it, and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it, and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes, and made them toil at the brick kilns. And thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. This concludes our reading from today's passage from the book of Second Samuel. In today's readings, in both the Old and New Testaments, we are shown the importance of recognizing, acknowledging, and repenting of our sin. Jesus makes it clear that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot recognize the truth about sin's severity. Sin is such a severe offense against God that it would require such a drastic remedial means of atonement as God's Holy Son lovingly and willingly offering His life on the cross as our substitute. We are shown that the only means of satisfying God's impeccable sense of righteousness is a perfect life. We are convicted of our need for righteousness, and Jesus is the only one whose righteous living satisfies the heart of God. Jesus representing us in His own righteousness is what we need. We are shown that the only way that we can be delivered from our citizenship in the kingdom of darkness is through the work of Christ on the cross, where the prince of this world is judged and sentenced to death. 
Jesus speaks of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Without the Holy Spirit's convicting work, people do not see themselves rightly as sinners in need of a Savior. David needed Nathan, the prophet, to open his eyes and acknowledge sin in order for his sin to be put away. King David was self-deceived and blinded to his sin for at least nine months, yet he bore the guilt and its consequences in his body, as we read in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. Bathsheba had already birthed his son out of wedlock when Nathan came to David with a report of a rich man who grievously sinned against a poor man by sacrificing his cherished lamb. This was a lamb with whom the poor man had a long history of love and affection. The rich man took the lamb and offered it as a meal to a passing stranger. Nathan tells the story well. He contrasts the state of the rich man who has everything he needs at his disposal with the poor man who has only his little ewe lamb which he had bought. The lamb is of exceptional value to the poor man, to the degree that it grew up with him and his children, drank from his cup and slept in his arms. The rich man, intent on showing his good character by showing hospitality to a stranger traveling by, rather than sacrificing one of his abundant supply of sheep or cattle, with which he had no relationship, he took a poor man's ewe lamb. David, perceiving the injustice of this act, cries out, The man who did this deserves to die. He must pay back four times over, because he did this thing and had no pity. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 6 Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Ouch! The bubble of self-deception popped. David saw what he needed to see, his guilt, his sin's worthiness of condemnation and judgment. He no longer covered up. He no longer lived in denial. Other men might have denied or justified their actions and continued in self-deception. But David said, I have sinned against the Lord. 2 Samuel 12:13. Listen to the words of his repentance captured in the Psalms. Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Psalm 51, verse 4, Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, his army, his messengers, his wives, his family, and his nation, all of whom faced various consequences. But he was seeing sin as it is most significantly an offense against the Lord, his Maker. The Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 32 when he speaks of the repentant believer in Christ Jesus being instantly justified by faith in Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. The wages of sin is death, but because of a merciful Savior who would bear God's wrath against our sin on our behalf, we can be forgiven and receive the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It may need pointing out that David's response to Nathan's parable demanding a fourfold payback was prophetic. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 6, he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. David paid for the death of Uriah four times over. Number one, his unnamed son, born of Bathsheba, dies in 2 Samuel 12:18. Number two, his son Ammon is murdered by the servants of his son Absalom in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 29. Thirdly, Absalom is killed by David's commander Joab and his armor-bearers in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 15. And fourthly, his son Adonijah by Haggith is killed by Benaiah under the orders of his son Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 25. The readiness of God to forgive our sins is clear in this passage. Nathan replied to David, The Lord has taken away your sin. 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. This is the good news. Through the atoning Lamb of God, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the repentant sinner can put away the guilt of his sin, knowing that God has put it away in Christ. When Nathan the prophet reports the Lord as saying, I anointed you as king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives to your arms, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 8, was God saying that he was giving multiple wives to David and therefore approving polygamy? God was not sanctioning David possessing an abundant number of wives. For the multiplication of wives was explicitly forbidden for kings in Deuteronomy 17.17. 17. If it was forbidden for the wealthy kings, it was forbidden for his subjects. The saying needs to be understood in the context of the parable that the prophet Nathan gave earlier about a certain rich man. David was the man who had abundance. David's true sufficiency and satisfaction ultimately came from the one from whom every good gift comes. In context, Nathan is not saying that God willed him to take wives. In fact, David is being chastised because he did so. Ultimately, the consequences of his disobedience would be faced throughout his household and the nation in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 11-12. through 12. After the death of their first child, David takes Bathsheba as his new wife. They have a child together and name him Solomon, meaning peace. The Lord sent word through the prophet Nathan that for the Lord's sake, the Lord called the child Jedidiah, meaning friend of God or beloved of God. In some ways, Solomon will be another type of the prophesied future son of David, the Messiah. Jesus is the truer and greater Solomon, the Prince of Peace, the beloved Son of the Father. Now let's go to today's New Testament reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 16. John, chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father... So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament passage from the Gospel according to John, chapter 16. And now we will take a few moments to reflect. Jesus continues in the Upper Room Discourse to speak about topics he raised in John chapter 15, the hatred of the world against the Father, himself and his disciples, and the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. He speaks again of going away in John 14 verse 28 and John 16 verse 5, but clarifies where he is going. He is going to the one who sent him in chapter 16 verse 5, the Father in chapter 16 verse 10 and 17 
to represent as righteous those who believe on him as their great high priest. He would offer a perfect once and for all sacrifice and deliver them from their captivity to the dominion of Satan in chapter 16 verse 11. All this paves the way for his being glorified at the Father's right hand so that we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, in chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, and chapter 16, verse 7, the Spirit of Truth, in John 16, 13, who will reveal to us the mind of Christ through the Word, John chapter 16, verse 14, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, and unveil what is ours in Him, in chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus likens His upcoming death by crucifixion and the disciples' grief to a woman in the travail of labor. Once the baby is born, the mother forgets her anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So it is that on the resurrection side of the cross, there is a joy that no one can take away from us. John chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus assures his disciples that a new privilege in prayer awaits them on the resurrection side of the cross. By virtue of their union and communion with him, They will participate in heavenly enterprises by making requests to God the Father, and He will give them whatever is asked for in His name. In John 16, verse 23. The disciples confess that now they believe. In John chapter 16, verse 30. Jesus predicts that they will soon falter in faith and scatter, but the Lord has things well in hand. They say, Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus then warns them and consoles them with a big picture. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Now let's go to the Bible's songbook, The book of Psalms, Psalm 119, verses 65 through 80. We are in Psalm 119, the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible, with 22 sections, with each section containing eight verses beginning with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We come to a section of eight verses now, all beginning with the Hebrew letter Teth. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And now we come to the next section, all beginning with the Hebrew letter Yod. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. 
Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. Now for some noteworthy highlights. Notice the theme in this section. We benefit through our sufferings. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Psalm 119, verse 67. Has there been a particular trial of affliction in your life that served as a wake-up call and brought you back on the track of spirit-reliance and spirit-enabled obedience to His Word? It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Psalm 119, verse 71. We might more accurately say, God loves you and has a difficult plan for your life. Psalm 119, verse 75 says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. The psalmist realizes that all our personal sufferings and all of God's dealings with us are superintended by His loving kindness. In Psalm 119, verse 76, O may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your servant. The psalmist has the big picture with the end product in view. The Apostle Paul says it well in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And now we go to the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. There is a definite warning for the arrogant here. The Lord has a purpose for everything. He even uses the evil deeds and days of the proud to ultimately vindicate his justice when he brings about their punishment. Now let's conclude our time together by praying back what we have learned to the Lord. Father, thank you for sending the Counselor. Only the Holy Spirit could wake us up to the meaning of the cross, the severity of our sin, the righteousness of Jesus' atoning sacrifice, and the reality of his willingness to present himself in your presence on our behalf as our righteousness. Only the Holy Spirit could enlighten us to the freedom won for us at the cross. Help us to walk worthily of our calling as your children, no longer living for ourselves, but for Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray that you will deliver us from the oppression and lies of the evil one, strengthen the church, and embolden believers to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Thank you for your participation in our Bible reading community, and we pray that you will be taking God's counsel to heart. We are all the wiser for our time in His Word. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us by writing an email to podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like to know more about New Life Community Church in Concord and its many ministries, you can go to our website, newlife.org. So until tomorrow, may the abundant life and peace of our Lord be with you.